Do we not like the fan noise in the background? Is that your laptop still just about to take off? <laughs> it's been desperately trying to take off for years, uh, but it can't seem to get off the stand. So we are going to be talking about, uh, through the lens of Elon Musk's eyes, mm. the scary, scary <laughs> eyes of Elon Musk, we're going to talk a bit about pricing. And we're going to be uh, sort of commenting on a blog post by a guy called Mark Ritson, who I don't really know, but I his his blog post was shared by another guy called Tim, who is he's based in Brian. And um, it was curious. He was like, basically, the title of the blog post is five. <laughs> what is the title of it? Five <laughs> lessons. On... <laughs> Five lessons on how not to do pricing from Elon Musk's Twitter. Mm -hmm. So essentially, uh, for those of you who have been living in a cave for the past month, there's a guy called, or maybe the past year or decade, there's a guy called Elon Musk who I've been watching a documentary on the BBC iPlayer called The Elon Musk Show. Mm. Fascinating story. Fascinating story about his experience, not only in building Tesla and SpaceX, uh, but also just... And well, they don't really talk about PayPal much, and that's the Couldn't interesting it thing. In. Too short no, a, I don't think many people know that he was actually part of PayPal, yeah. which is fascinating. But they talk about the company before PayPal, yeah, and they talk about him getting pushed out of PayPal, yeah. But also, they talk about his childhood, yeah, and his parents, and that is super fascinating. Anyway, they come up to the idea of buying Twitter, uh, and the basically him's his the power he has a being having several hundred i think he's the second most followed person on twitter over 100 million followers in influencing markets and he's an influencer he is a massive <laughs> big influencer yeah now he's trying to influence the business model of twitter and trying to as i understand it get it into profitability which means dealing with pricing and so um on this blog post uh there were these five things not to do mm -hmm. with pricing, and I, I'm gonna and and broadly, and then so my view on it was there's like kind of three aspects to it. There's something around clarity, something around confidence, and something about communication. So yeah, there, there's something about how clear are the prices that we present, um, how confident are we when we present them, and how do we communicate them in a way that. That makes sense. You know, the, you clearly understand them. So the five lessons. Firstly, ignore research, go straight to tactics. That's one lesson not to do. Number two thing not to do, ignore strategy and go straight to tactics. Number three, create uncertainty around the price change. Wobble a bit. Number four, don't worry about framing, just set a price. And number five, value is all about the company, not the customer. Okay, so those are the five things not to, to give you not to do, yeah. not to do. So oh, I thought we'd just like skip through each one and just give our own commentary. I'll kind of share a little bit, I'll maybe intro a bit with what Mark was talking about on his blog post, and then maybe you can chime in with any thoughts uh, uh, and your own perspective. Mm -hmm. So the first thing, and maybe from the perspective of happy pricing, number one, ignore research go straight to tactics. So um, what he was saying was basically pricing from the gut. Just like, mm -hmm. ah, this is a price, and just not even thinking about uh, asking or talking to anyone. 
So that's his thing. Is like that's what he perceived Elon Musk doing with some of his pricing, particularly. And so, now just to be clear, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Twitter, and I'm not particularly familiar with Twitter, there is a blue tick, which is actually a white circle with a white a blue circle with a white tick. Apparently, uh, that is a verified user status. So that's to let you know that this person is really who they are, and they they were wanting to charge twenty dollars for it. Again, said out of the blue. And there's other aspects of the things they want to charge. So anyway, first thing, giving a price without any research. So yeah, so the context you said, he buys the company for a huge amount of money. It clearly doesn't make any money. Lots of people, whatever. Kind of contentious for a range of things. He's then looking at ways of making money, says you should charge for the blue tech, the verified thing. Says, oh, $20. But then in conversation, when he gets some kind of pushback on Twitter basically saying, you know, you can sling it. I'm not going to do that. He says, okay, what about eight? <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, I think like the five points, one of the, one of the things more than I had sort of like specific thoughts about the individual points, it kind of felt to me and in the same way your, your alliteration sort of spoke to it. It felt to me that the, the kind of the general idea that the article was talking about, which is right, is that essentially he, Elon Musk did what everybody shouldn't do, which is he basically didn't really think about it, didn't think it through, didn't look at it via the lens of the person who was buying, didn't, you know, sort of no no, no plan, no strategy, no thinking, no consideration, no care, just wades in and from the gut kind of vomits a figure into the air, which, of course, given that he is the most kind of followed person on Twitter or whatever it is, and also kind of, you know, the man of the moment, everybody kind of looks at, vomits a figure into the air, which is kind of quickly sort of swatted back at him. I mean, even in a sense, I don't even know how roundly it was swatted back at him. A few people, clearly people he paid attention to, swatted it back at him and he just responded. So it just kind of talks to all of this, kind of acting from the gut, not thinking about it. And, you know, the problem of acting from the gut, like we sort of talk about on all the others is that's just loaded with our own sort of kind of emotional kind of flavour and judgment about it. And then kind of reacting to what comes back at you. But this whole sort of thing, you know, not thinking, you know, not not thinking about it outside in, which is like one of the ways we talk about it on, on the course, that you are kind of pricing a little bit outside in. You're starting more from the from the lens, from the perspective of the person who is buying. It's not just about you vomiting a figure into the air, because almost certainly the figure that you're vomiting into the air when you're pricing your own thing is one which is kind of clouded by your own stories, your own anxieties, your own worries your own judgments good or bad about what it is that you might you might be doing so the kind of the danger of doing what he did of kind of going inside out is there is no reason to what you're doing there is no that you know it is it's not a, a qualified thing there is no you know you have no idea whether the value of what you are talking about is kind of right or wrong now for sure someone like him i would guess the 20 dollar thing came about because you know, he has undoubtedly, given that he just bought a company for $44 billion, an army of people who are really good with spreadsheets. I mean, that's what you would hope and expect if you're doing that. And so the army of people who are really good with spreadsheets, no doubt, look at the organization, you know, from all the stuff they can see and think, well, actually, if we could get 20% of the people who have a blue tick to pay $20 a month, all of a sudden we'd make all of this money, to which he then probably just regurgitates that into the world, going, okay, well, there you go, so $20. But yeah, it just talks the idea of 
acting impulsively, acting from the gut, acting inside out, not thinking about or caring about what the person on the other side of the table is thinking, doing or wanting. And that that essentially is setting yourself up for a kind of period of uncertainty and or anxiety and maybe a suboptimal outcome. So there's another aspect, another point or another lesson around um, uh, that Mark shared was value is all about the company, not the customer. Mm. And I'm linking that to what you were saying because there's a sometimes I I feel, and we've been guilty of about this, having a defensive stance about prices. So it's like, oh, I'm charging this much because we need to make some money. You know, it costs us this much and this much and this much and this much to actually make a profit. So, you know, you should pay us because we need to put food on the table. Now, on one hand, yeah, that's fair enough. On the other hand, it's like, well, why should I care? Like, you're a business. Am I, am I, am I a charity? <laughs> am I giving you money just... That can help, and I've seen it like with models like Patreon and people who just want to support artists to do their work fine but there's still some kind of value that people are getting not guilt i'm mm. not trying to get someone to pay you money by through guilt i feel personally i find that a bit challenging uh but even just from a purely pricing strategy approach is like well what is it about the this customer that what's the good feeling here because guilt mm. doesn't feel like a very good feeling mm. so that's that's what i was picking up on there so when i'm thinking about pricing from the inside out it's like if this is this unfiltered, oh, I feel really, really scared. I really feel really, really desperate and I feel really, really um, needy. Can you please pay this price? That's when I think you're, well, you're going to come up with either A, some resistance, uh, at best ambivalence, at worst maybe someone just essentially blatantly saying oh, that's not worth it mm-hmm. because you're not talking to me about what I'm getting out of it mm-hmm. at all. Um, and, and that's not based on any kind of, uh, at least some kind of understanding or knowledge of who you're selling to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's all coming from me. I need, I need, I need, I need this much money for you. I need you to pay this much money and I need it to survive. Mm. Please pay. I think it's a further, it's like, it's not, it's partly, you know, they're not coming at it from a position of knowledge or understanding about what me, the kind of customer or client might want to do. But also it sort of talks to a lack of kind of care. Actually, I'm not, I don't really care about, um, kind of what's happening on the on the other side of the other side of the table, uh, and that kind of blindness of it, really, uh, because yeah, you know, there are two parties in all of these in all of these transactions, and better understanding what the the kind of buying party wants and needs and values and sort of judges and all of those things will mean you are doing better work, and you also better understand what something is worth to them. Well, I think the the word for me, the really important word there is care, mm. is like particularly for the work and the kinds of people that we are talking to and surrounding ourselves with and wanting to work with are people who care about the people, not just the money. And so in terms of an outside-in approach, it's like I want to understand these people. I want to know what they're trying to do. I want to know what they're struggling with. I want to know what that means to them so that I can actually help them and I can work out what we're doing with a happy pricing course, how much money they're willing to pay mm-hmm. for us to help them. And then with the inside out approach, I think what boundaries can I create for myself so that I'm not just pandering to anyone? I, mm. I have some clear understanding and you talk about in the course, what more money um, could buy me? You know, what are the kind of the minimum, what's the minimum amount of money I'm willing 
to uh, sell my services for or what mm-hmm. am I willing to give away mm-hmm. consciously not because of I need them need the client but because I feel like investing in that person mm-hmm. investing mm-hmm. my time there's something and this is where point lesson two about strategy I think is interesting you know having a strategic understanding of pricing as opposed to just again throwing out some prices because I think about when I think about strategic aspect of pricing, the thing that's springing to mind is like I might have a product or service that I charged forty nine, sixty, ninety nine dollars in the uh, before in the past, but actually I'm reducing the price not because the value is less, because it's a stepping stone to something else that I've created. And so this idea of like thinking about price not in isolation of the product, but in terms of in this case when I think about strategy, what's the bigger journey? or the longer journey that my customers potentially go on. And so I'm pricing not only based on the value to them, but also how I think they will feel more amenable to trying this thing, then this thing, then this thing, because it tells a story not only in terms of their own growth and development, but also how much they're willing to invest at different points of their education or transformation. The thing that was actually coming to my head as you were talking there was not directly what you were talking about, but don't tell that personally. <laughs> the, the thought that was actually coming up was if Elon Musk was on the happy pricing course, yeah. working out what to do at Twitter, what would we have gone through? Right. Ooh. So obviously he would have begun the endeavor, the exercise, thinking about his attention, thinking about what he wanted to get out of it, thinking about all of those sorts of things. So he had some kind of clarity about the kind of direction he was traveling and the work that he wanted to do there. Then the next thing that he would do uh, on the course with his happy cohort of other people, having made the relatively small investment compared to the 44 billion that he spent on Twitter, um, he basically would have done some more work thinking about what it is that the people were actually buying. So in his mind, he's thinking this blue tick is worth something to people. So there is a universe of people who have that blue tick that presumably it is worth something. And actually, so one of the things we do is actually better understand, well, what is it that those people are actually buying? What is it? What is the change that those people are wanting, are enjoying by kind of wanting the blue tick and being willing to spend money on the blue tick? And so there will be a whole range of things which are important to people who have the blue tick uh, about why they would want it, why it's important for them, which might be about status, which might be about how other people perceive them, might be about their own kind of credibility or their own respect or their own understanding or their own kind of sort of professional um, sort of integrity or positioning might be important for the work that they do. It might be important for their ability to grow and connect and, and grow more more followers. There'll be a whole range of reasons that are actually important to people for why they want the blue tick. And all of those things, to varying degrees and reasons, of course, have a value. They have a value to, you know, why is it important for Carlos to have a blue tick? Because his followers think about him in a certain way, more likely to attract other followers. His followers, people will pay attention more to things that he says or he doesn't say. So there is value in that to you. And so the, the, the task for Elon while he's on the course and with the tools that he gets, probably by joining the momentum bit afterwards, because he's not going to nail all of this just in the one go. He's going to have to work at this for a little bit of time. Is he kind of better understands all of these motivations and clarifications and all these things. And then he basically starts to experiment in a conversational sense with a pool of key people, because of course he's not going to do it with all the people who have a blue tick or all the people who might want a blue tick. He's going to sort of experiment, be in conversation with a relatively 
small group of those people, you know, using questions, using conversations to understand what is it that the Carlos's of the world who have a blue tick, why do they want it? Why is it important for them? What do they gain from doing that? And through being in conversation, he will start to better understand what the value of the blue tick is to different people at different times. And as he better understands what the value of the blue tick is to different people at different times, he's able to go into the fourth part of the happy pricing uh, course and start to understand with what options might be. Because I think that's the other thing which is kind of alluded to in the article. It spoke a little bit about framing. There, There's no kind of frame. We're just vomiting a figure into the world. There does need to be some choice. You know, the Carlos's of the world who have a blue tick don't want to feel like a price is just being forced on their head which is a yes no thing i mean or i'm out and this is the you know either either i do this or i don't do this there should be some opportunity for carlos's to engage at a different level or there should be an opportunity for carlos to understand the value of a blue tick at this price versus one at this price might point to kind of different benefits or different ways of of engaging so that sort of suite of things if elon would like to join us on the course he's of course very welcome to do that but i think it's about that it's about process it's about and again what it's talking about in the article there is about it is about strategy it is about thinking things through it is about research it is about framing it is about having care for the carlos's of the world and better understanding what it is for them about why the you know why why would i even want a blue tick what's it going to do for me and i think if you don't get into that space you're never going to be able to think about a price that speaks to you know speaks to you or speaks to somebody who might be willing or able to pay for the blue tick because undoubtedly there are many people who would pay for it if it was spoken to them in the right way uh, for the right reason with the right care yeah i think it's interesting that whole you know giving that example of would i pay for a blue tick at the moment, no, because uh, A, I don't have a massive enough brand to defend. So my assumption now, so if we're going to say like someone who wants to pay a blue for a blue tick is potentially someone who's going to have lots of other accounts who are trying to piggyback on their brand and their status. And so they want to be heard as the authoritative person for themselves, as opposed to be having their followers distracted or people distracted by other people. And so depending on how important my brand is and how important it is for other aspects of my business, whether I'm a speaker, whether I'm a writer, whether I'm a politician, then that starts to tell me a story of like, oh, yes, actually, $20 is cheap compared to losing a 10 grand speaking gig or suddenly being defamed because I said something contentious online that people mistook me for. So even in that case, if I was someone uh, on the maybe hundreds of thousands, and my, this is off the top of my head, if I was Barack Obama and I had 100 million followers, to be honest, I don't need a blue tick because mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone knows this is the place. But if I'm on that cusp where it's hard to differentiate, is that the real person or not? Then there might be some value paying even $99 if mm-hmm. it's core to my business. And this is the interesting thing here is like, who is the core customer or of the blue, the, the, Twitter's blue tick. Because then that, for me, from what you're saying, starts to dictate, okay, the where the price should be. And I think what's going through my head is like, how much money does Twitter need to make in order mm. to to whatever? Because if I'm going to flip it on its head now, let's talk about Elon buying Twitter itself. Mm-hmm. Why would Elon pay $44 billion for Twitter? Mm-hmm. Now, as I understand it from a quick Google research, 
they make $5 billion in revenue a year. Now, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the investor person. I, a rule of thumb I've heard for tech stocks is like a 10x. I'm not sure if it's on profit or of revenue as a valuation rule of thumb. There's not a quick answer to this point for the reason actually why a lot of this is kind of interesting because yeah like an investor would say oh you know there is a, there should be a multiple of profit it should be mm. but of course that doesn't happen at all like facebook bought whatsapp for 19 billion dollars when it was generating like not um, not one hundredth of that why because the value of it to the buyer is worth that for the reasons which it is that so all those things around multiples and the rest of it is just the story that we tell ourselves to justify why we've done something whether it's elon musk buying twitter or you know somebody buying your service whatever it may be and so this for me illustrates well i was trying to illustrate the values in the eye of the beholder Mm. without asking elon why is it worth 44 billion dollars because it might not be for anyone else worth, not even if you did the, you know, re- the calculations and the revenue, you know, how much you're going to return on investment over 10 years. It probably won't even touch, a, like you said, a hundredth of the investment he's made. But there's a bigger play. Yeah. You know, what is Elon actually buying mm-hmm. is the question. And then maybe when you understand the answer of that, then you say, oh, yeah, I can see why it's worth $44 billion as opposed mm-hmm. to why are you paying $44 billion for mm-hmm. that thing? Yeah, to him and in that moment is why. It's to worth him, that. exactly. And so the invitation is to then transpose that situation to your customer when they're buying something off of you. Mm-hmm. Are they just buying the thing, or are they buying something more? Yeah, something that's in their minds. Some, like you say, a good feeling or a solution that's in their heads, not necessarily yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, entirely in their heads, and never in yours. I think I think where you got to there is a nice that actually the value is in the eye of the beholder is in the eye of the buyer, uh, and so all this sort of stuff is actually that that's the place we need to be is what is the story your customer your client is telling themselves and how is it that the thing that you have sort of supports them in that change supports them in that journey supports them in that transformation because that's the thing that somebody is buying. And so what we can do, all we can do is try and take the time to kind of understand what those stories might be so that we can start to understand how our thing, how our product, how our service plugs into helping them achieve it. And I like the you know, use of the word stories and thinking about stories. This is something that we're doing at the moment with Vision 2020. We're, we're kind of focusing a bit more on stories. And there's the stories that your customers telling themselves and then there's how we relay that or reflect that story so that they feel a sense of empathy because i think the other aspect of this is there's value in trust i'm more likely to pay someone who i trust who actually seems to see in my head and that way again it doesn't have to be more stuff in order to charge more there's something else around relationships understanding empathy and caring Thank you very much for your words and your time and your ears. And until next time, uh, keep on pricing happy. <laughs> <laughs>